Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Nile Nine podcast on episode 220. It is a chat with the author and journalist Michael Craig of who writes for The Guardian and other publications. He has a book out at the moment called Reach for the Stars, which um, I got on the way to my holidays uh, recently. And it is I I just absolutely loved it it was the book about that explores and celebrates it's and contextualizes the period of uk pop that flourished between 1996 and 2006 through uh, an oral history book andrea cleary is here of course how are you andrea hey I'm good. you've enjoyed you've enjoyed um, reading yes, this book i too also loved the book yeah it's just oh god it's like it, it's the the same feeling as reading like meet me in yeah Boston. Where you're just like, oh, I'm just like, I'm getting all the gossip, but it's for like Steps and Liberty X <laughs> yeah. and Spice Girls and Five and S Club Seven. And it's, it really, really is so much fun. I I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's book. great. It's really, um, really good. I would recommend it to anyone. And Michael is lovely. We had a great chat with him. So Yeah, I think anyone would get a, a, a thrill. Anyone who's alive will get a thrill out of this. If they were alive or... Yeah. In yeah. a teenager in the nineties or two thousands, you'd you'd really appreciate this. Or the parent of a teenager <laughs> in the nineties or the two thousands, you will have known all these songs. Yeah, you know. So my, we're going to chat to Michael Shirley uh, about the book, uh, and also uh, to plug our friend Louise Bruton's uh, Pop Emergencies Party, which Michael is coming over for. So Michael Craig is going to be interviewed by Louise uh, on the Saturday 15th of July at Wigwam in Dublin at the Smash Hits Poll Winners Party, which is what the party's called. Um, so an interview and Q&A with uh, Michael Craig and a Y2K Pop Dance Party with Lou Brew. So tickets are on Eventbrite for that. Uh, that If you want to buy tickets for it, which you should, it is on uh, the show notes of this podcast uh, as well. So go and hit that. And other than that, uh, we are going to chat now to Michael Craig uh, about pop music from the years 1996 to 2006. Uh, So we're joined by Michael Craig on uh, this week's podcast. Uh, Michael just released a book called Reach for the Stars. And um, 
it explores pop UK pop music mostly from 1996 to 2006 and all through an oral history. Um, I found it, I actually picked it up in the airport on the way to my holiday last month and I found it uh, a perfect holiday read. Um, I, I kind of always say to myself, oh no, I won't read anything about music on my holidays, but that's exactly what I did uh, and it was very hard to put down. So thank you for that. <laughs> so yeah, the book is a an oral history uh, about a lot of acts from 1996 to 2006. Um, can we start a little bit with, like, tell me why you decided to go with the the oral history aspect of it? Mainly because I wanted the people involved to tell the story themselves, because I felt like it was a time where they didn't really get to speak yeah. much. And if they did, it was often sort of quite frivolous questions about, you know, favourite colour, favourite sandwich filling or whatever, which is, you know... There's a place for that. But I did think, you know, with this sort of distance that we have now, that I'd like for them to sort of think back about that time, both the positives and the negatives. And I thought it would just be funny to use a format which tends to be quite serious and heavy. The oral history Mm -hmm. thing is sort of applied to, you know, The Wire or Radiohead or whatever. So I thought it'd be quite funny to put that into pop and have h from steps next to sort of a critic next to kind of you know baby spice or whatever so i just imagine that would be quite funny and obviously i made this big sort of proposal and then i was like god what if no one agrees to do it because obviously i couldn't i couldn't put them in the proposal because i hadn't done it yet and i was like oh i'm sure i'll get loads of pop stars and then i had a panic that i wouldn't get any but i did in the end yeah you got quite a few how did you go about getting them how was the um i sent a lot of a lot of emails uh i mean the good thing is is a lot of these people are still together and they're still performing in one way or the other so luckily a lot of them still had sort of websites and prs and managers that i could send these not groveling emails but i wanted to get across that the book is sort of honoring that music it isn't coming at it from like a sort of you know, negative way or me being sort of snobby about it. I really love the music. So I wanted to get that across. So I just sent, yeah, a lot of emails and I did a lot of transcribing. There were like over a hundred people in the book. So I listened to my voice and lots of voices for a very long time and I never want to do that again. Yeah. As I was reading it, I was wondering, I was like, did I wonder, did he just yeah. transcribe? I couldn't it? let so any of them like out of my sight. I got really like possessive yeah. about it because obviously you can sort of get mm. people to do it for you. Or you can use those like transcription services, but I just couldn't handle the idea that something might happen to it. So (laughs) I spent a lot of days, weeks and months transcribing. Yeah, it's a lot. There's there's so much kind of like rich quotes in it. And I mean, so it starts with obviously where, where you should start when you talk about this period with the Spice Girls. And I mean... Maybe you, you you can tell us like your what well, why you decided to begin with the Spice Girls. Why were they the sort of the the nexus of this period for you? I guess because they kickstarted what sort of followed in terms of this kind of manufactured high gloss sort of pop that kind of swept through in their wake. And obviously they made so much money for record labels, so there was this huge amount of budget. So new pop bands were sort of bursting through like left, right and centre. Like every month there'd be like a new boy band, girl band, mixed gender band. And Take That had just split up as well that same year. So sort of February 96, I think it was, or April, they sort of announced that they were splitting up in this quite sad sort of news conference thing where there was only four of them and they all looked a bit sort of tired and they had kind of long hair and terrible clothes. And you were like, oh, pop is sort (laughs) of dead, you know, like... Where's the fun gone? And then out of nowhere, of all things, a girl band at a time when everyone was being told that girl bands wouldn't work with just these sort of five amazing women dressed as, you know, superheroes or whatever, with Wannabe, which sounded like nothing else and sort of kickstarted this whole period. And so they would, none of what followed would have happened, I don't think, without them, even in terms of like, Simon Cowell rejecting them and then sort of trying to do a version Mm. of them later or Chris Herbert, the manager, being sort of booted off and then going to do five. So none of those things would have happened if Spice Girls hadn't come along. Thank God they did. Yeah, what's so interesting with the Spice Girls as well, and they arrived at the right time because they were a little bit rough around the edges in terms of like performance. And you can see that in the wannabe video and the label apparently wanted to remake the video. But just how like they seem to turn up into every room and just like, 
overpower everyone and wanting to showcase how like just spontaneously singing to uh media (laughs) or Mm. or just turning up and like saying i know you don't like us but like you will like this kind of thing like it's so it's so effective and so brilliant how they just uh their combination this five-headed monster came in and just like took over in lots of ways Mm. Mm. and they had something to push against because as you say like people didn't want them you know smash hits were not interested even though they went into smash hits and like danced around the tables but smash hits were moving into like an indie world so they would rather have like the blue tones on the cover than the spice girls and so i think jerry especially and mel b were like okay well we're gonna make this work one way or the other and obviously smash it's doing that meant that top of the pops could come along the magazine and give them the sort of famous nicknames and have them on the cover and they were so successful that them being on the cover meant that top of the Pops sold more than smash hits in the end so they really like changed everything and it's interesting actually because they were rebellious they did write the, on the songs and so it's weird that they kick-started what followed which was much sort of more controlled you know, people like S Club 7 were not like the Spice Girls in a way, but purely because they mm-hmm. sort of attracted a younger fan base who wanted to spend yeah. lots of money on CDs and merchandise. They're sort of similar in that sense. Yeah, I, th- I think it, it's easy to misread what is successful about the Spice Girls and look at them and say, oh, well, we just need something. We need a band where every little girl has somebody to aspire to or to relate to but they were just so much more than that they were they were gobby and rebellious and like everything that you read about them and all the stories that are in the book about them they just seem so like irritating to be around Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) if if you were somebody who was like trying to get some work done at your record label (laughs) and here it's like oh here they come and you know i i i love the part in the book i can't remember who says it but that they were called spice but somebody kept calling them just oh those spice girls yeah which is almost this kind of like dismissive sort of derogatory way to refer to them but then it becomes their identity and they seem like absolute nightmares but that is what makes them made them so special and like i i rewatched the wannabe video after reading the part in the book when um when more than one person said that it was an awful video and i was like that's not how i remember it yeah, yeah. i was like this is a masterpiece what are people talking about in like two continuous shots like they're all they're nailing their dance moves you know every, every like backing character in it is iconic like it's it's an amazing and it has the charm to it that I think it would be so easy to look at it and say, oh, it's cheap and it's, you know, it looks a bit rough around the edges and we can't sell this. But it's exactly that that makes yeah. me, or that made me as a little girl love the Spice Girls and, yeah. and girl power was going to change the world. And, you know, and it did in many ways. But yeah, I was mad that people were, you know, talking down that video. I was like, no. yeah, like they were <laughs> going to reshoot it. You know, that nearly happened, but they just ran out of time because luckily they'd become sort of so popular or the single was sort of building Mm. up. And yeah, I think it would have been a shame. I think the idea was it wasn't polished enough. You know, the label had spent a lot of money already to sort of get them. So I think they wanted it to look shiny. And of course, that Mm. wouldn't have worked with the song at all. And in the end, it was perfect. And, you know, Mel B sort of running off and just buying like a cheap top from like the shop because she didn't like the designer one that they gave her is sort of them it's like (laughs) I don't want to wear this if I'm going to be uncomfortable or do this if it's going to make me uncomfortable yeah and some somebody that you spoke to referred to it as a punk song and that just completely like yeah opened my mind up to it in a whole different way it is a punk song Biff Stammond who wrote it with them I think he said that Mm. and you know it I mean it did just sound unlike anything else and really doesn't even sound like anything else they did after you know it could have only been like the first Mm. single because you can't Mm. release that as like your third or whatever it's never going to work and in Mm. terms of everything that came after the Spice Girls I think it was interesting as well the contrast there they seem to have a lot of creative control they were very headstrong in terms of in their business sense as well in terms of management and who was working with them and uh, so that is something that maybe a lot of the other acts that you cover in the book didn't have um uh, mm. 
So mm. interesting to note, like it's kind of like the blueprint uh, allows those things to happen. And then when it gets calcified afterwards, everything else is a bit like more controlled and then therefore maybe a little bit less interesting in terms of like worldwide appeal and stuff like that. There are some mm. great anecdotes in the book as well. Uh, <laughs> the, the one about Russell Brand uh, auditioning for five, but uh, denying it ever since. Uh, <laughs> I I am so tinfoil hat about that now. Like I'd never heard that before, yeah. and now I'm like, well, obviously he did. Yeah, he definitely <laughs> did. Or, or come on, if he, especially if he's denying yeah, it, yeah. like, well, yeah, exactly. Embrace that. It's, <laughs> it's hilarious, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Or- yeah, I I love all of the. Anytime anybody was talking about like the beginnings of the bands, because it's just not something that we have now. Like the idea of reading a an ad for you know we're looking mm. for sassy 16 to 23 year olds to come down and audition and was it for for the five auditions where it was just like a conveyor belt where they'd audition people like you know 10 boys at a time and it's just and they're like can you dance can you sing what what is your look and the idea that that would happen now is just so if it, it feels like it's so much longer ago than it actually is because of how removed we are from that kind of um, from that being the norm in the industry. But it was it was completely normal in the 1990s yeah. too. And, and I, I suppose that's what's so that's what was so appealing about pop in the 90s is that you, you could just walk into an audition one day and your life would change. Yeah. And, and I wanted to sort of capture that, like for them to talk about sort of what that process was like, what they were doing like the day before they went to that audition, how they even Mm -hmm. heard of the audition. You know, one of five talks about sort of being hungover and his dad kind of forcing him to go to it. And the the advert was like, we're looking for the Spice Boys because it was Chris Mm -hmm. Herbert who sort of had done both. And he's like, I don't want to be a Spice Boy. But obviously going to that audition and getting through changed his life. And then you sort of want to know whether it changed his life for the good or for the bad you know overall Mm. I wanted to sort of get to that point of like do you regret it you know was this period sort of as amazing as it seemed or was it actually sort of tricky and I think it was both for a lot of them Mm. that's something that echoes a lot in the in the book uh from a lot of people is the specific details of how these young pop stars maybe don't know how to move through the world whether it's like paying bills or laundry or anything to do with looking after yourself when you're thrown into a house in the middle of nowhere um like scott from five saying he did the band uh like they didn't know that it was their money like most bands probably who are young mm. who get a record deal these days or or in the last whenever number of years keeping the meter running on a taxi for an hour while he has a sleep or gets changed you know those kind of things <laughs> but it is it is crazy the schedules that they had uh the ongoing treadmill of the schedules and non-stop whether it's bradley from s club seven being pulled out of the nightclub to record vocals at 2 a.m um i think it was the atomic kitten uh recordings where literally everything else is recording they're just running in because they have 15 minutes to go and like record the top line vocals or the or the main vocals over the what all the backing tracks and everything else done by somebody else um yeah it is natasha from atomic kitten like saying she was back on stage dancing six weeks after having an emergency c-section you know mm. these are are things that now and we've talked about on this podcast a lot about and the context of Britney and how people are treated and stuff like that uh, it's just those specific examples are really like wow these are very jarring to 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 read again uh these years later when it's not actually that long you know what I mean mm. Mm. no and the schedules were I mean you have to factor in that there were so many magazines so many tv shows back then you know it's changed so much now you would have to sort of you had obviously a six-week build-up to your single coming out so you had to do all of these things to tell people that it was coming you know you couldn't just fire off a tweet or go on tiktok or whatever so they the schedules were packed and obviously the money mm. was a lot back then you know liberty x's third video from their second album was a quarter of a million pounds now that you don't get that for like your first comeback video necessarily yeah. so there was a lot of investment a lot of kind of time and energy going in but obviously you've also got these people who are very young they don't really know what's going on necessarily in terms of how to live how to like where the money's going 
whether they have any money. You know, some of them were like, oh, we only got told that we got all this cash sort of three years in or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it, I wanted them to talk about the mental health aspects and the sort of negativity without it being like the main story. But it's sort of, you know, it's only fair to ask them about those things now because they didn't have anyone to talk to about it at that time. Mental health wasn't really discussed in that way. Yeah, and also mm. not even recognised, you know, Sean from Five saying he left the band because uh, he was struggling with anxiety and no one really recognising that and, you mm. know, uh, taking the step to go to a counsellor when, you know, people didn't do that and saying Simon mm. Cowell was kind of annoyed with him for leaving the group. Yeah, though. because there was this expectation and maybe we've only just started to get rid of that, which is if you're in the public eye, you're have you're living the, your best life. Like this, this has to be the sort of ultimate for anyone is to be rich and famous. But I think the problem was is a they weren't rich, and b they were famous, but it was very, you know, it could have been taken away at any time, and often it didn't last longer than sort of five years, and then you're you're always known as Lee from Nine One One, for example. You know, he talks about that thing of like one day going to the shops and not being in the band anymore and people still recognizing him but knowing that they're not together anymore and and that attention sort of being twisted into something sort of negative suddenly is a bit of a you know that's going to sort of play on anyone's mind i think yeah mm. yeah i love the the focus in the in the book on how much of a role that gay fans and gay knights kind of played in a lot of this. Mm. Because I think when we talk about pop music from this time, it's easy to kind of focus on little girls um, being like su supportive of it. But um, I think that, you know, like play playing at GAY and being on the cover of like gay magazines, if you're a straight uh, artist, like all, all of that aspect of it was really interesting. And it wasn't really something that I was aware of um because i was a child at the time um so yeah maybe if you could tell us like a a, a little bit about like that side of uh, of it yeah and it was it's strange because obviously on the one hand you had people being told that they shouldn't come out if they were gay it was like okay well you know mm. that's fine but don't tell anyone or yeah. that's fine but like if anyone asks just say you fancy britney or christina or whatever because they were worried that that would sort of destabilize the fan base and that young girls wouldn't fancy you if they knew that somehow they couldn't be your girlfriend. Um, and so you had that on the one side, but then on the other you had, right, well, let's go and get the sort of pink pound and let's make sure that you're sort of mm. at GAY, but obviously you're still straight or straight acting and you can sort of take your top off and you can be on the cover of gay magazines because we hadn't got to the point where actually we should put gay people on the front of these magazines or we should sort of elevate those voices and so you did have sort of jay from five or usually the drummer from mcfly with his top off um you know on the cover of these magazines because they did sell and it was a market that was sort of hugely worth breaking because they you know mm. the sort of money that could be spent on things the sort of loyalty the fact that you could kind of reach a different audience as well i think for a lot of the pop stars it was quite fun because you go to gay and it was late you could drink you could sort of mm. do a lot more on stage than you could in front of like the smash it's Palmer's party crowd so it was it must have been difficult to sort of be a closeted gay pop star and and sort of have these two things running parallel where you're sort of in the closet but also courting a sort of fan base of fellow gay people but without kind of being able to talk about it and obviously there were sort of exceptions mm. to that will young and obviously stephen gately late later and yeah. age from steps sort of later but it wasn't often that you would be in a band at the peak of your success and sort of talk about being gay there's a sweet moment when h from steps is remembering being asked mm. who he fancies in an interview and one one of the girls just kind of says, "Oh, he only has eyes for me," and that there's this yeah. kind of like there was this protective sort of shield around him, which I found really really sweet, actually. Yeah, it's like that they were really minding him because of, and I suppose the girls in the group would have known that it's like they they would have encountered difficulties um, 
kind of unique to being a female pop star mm. and that m- maybe would have you know made them aware that he he will encounter difficulties that like none of us are aware of or equipped to deal with and there's no you know there's no blueprint for this we don't know how this would go um so yeah i thought that was that was really yeah. sweet and and it's it's it, it's a funny thing to think of because now it's like when you think of pop music it's just oh well it's the girls and the gays like yeah. that's that's who it's for um but there was this sort of you know weird gray area in the 90s where um you'd have to kind of try to market five as like a laddish band kind of to lads as well as girls yes and it's like and also i think you know it's important to remember that the press was incredibly homophobic at that time you know Mm, the george michael example was important because his career especially in america did suffer when you know he Mm -hmm. sort of did come out in a very public way but you know, the way it was written about in the tabloids was awful. And so I think for anyone maybe thinking of doing it around that time or sort of building up to that would have seen that and been like, well, I don't, you know, I can't have that happen or I can't risk the careers of my friends because this is what I'm being told will happen. And so there's a lot, there must have been a lot on people's shoulders of just like, let's just keep this quiet because I don't want to rock the boat, which is you know, bringing joy to like people and also like helping my friends kind of have a career. That must have been a lot. Yeah. So you talked a lot to, uh, you give a lot of space as well to the songwriters and producers of of these songs as well, which is probably people who don't really get a chance to talk about this. I think that's one of the really interesting parts for me is just hearing, like you said about, uh, you know, the, uh, is it five that were given, uh, we're trying to get that, uh, hit me baby one more time and then said yeah. in front of max martin that's fucking wank mm-hmm. <laughs> those kind of yeah. things you know and like how songs are going to pass around and then eventually settle on others and then simon mm. cowell says he wanted he would give his aston martin for for that song and it doesn't work out and and how some songs are, are work really well for others um can you talk a little bit about xenomania and how how kind of they became what they were for for uh for girls that I, because I think they were really important in terms of before that, mm. the work that they did before that, in terms of how they got there. Yes, because Brian Higgins, who basically sort of runs Xenomania with a team of mad songwriters and producers, he had done Believe by Cher, which had obviously become hugely successful and made him a lot of money. But rather than sort of go with that and like you know he he said no to a lot of things because he he wanted to build this kind of factory of pop that would he hated what was happening he hated the max martin sound of this sort of swedish kind of version of r&b he hated the like pastiche of steps and s club seven so he wanted to completely destroy all of that and so the initial idea was to do this act called moon baby which was miranda cooper who ended up writing who was part of Xenomania in the end and ended up writing a lot of the Girls Aloud songs. So he put all of his eggs in this basket and it wasn't working and it was sort of failing. And he had this other girl band called Orchid and they recorded a song called Sound of the Underground, which Miranda had written with another songwriter. And he took it to the head of Polydor and, the, and he was like, look, I love the song, but it's just not the right time for this. And so Brian was a bit like, what am I going to do? Because I've got this amazing song, but there's no vehicle for this. Like we're, you know, fucked basically. And then he got a call saying, I found, I found it. And it's this TV show called pop stars, the rivals, and they're putting a girl band together. And this is going to be their first single, which is crazy because we'd already had like pop idol and pop stars and you do not give a really good song (laughs) A mm. original song to the winners of those shows. You give them a ballad, you give them something quite dreary that isn't going to like rock the boat. And so all the girls who were in the final sort of 10 <laughs> were played this song and they were like, what on earth is this? You know, it's sort of surf guitars <laughs> and like drum and bass and it's upbeat, which is also rare yeah. for them. So everyone hated it or maybe not hated it, but was like very confused.
they went with it, which is amazing that Polydor would sort of do that because it was either going to be that or Stay Another Day by E17, like a cover of that song. So that was a huge crossroads and a huge sort of risk that they took. And obviously Girls Aloud won and the cover, the boy band did a cover of a Bee Gees song that no one even liked and came second, uh, got to number two and were never really heard of again. And Girls Aloud obviously then got locked in by Xenomania, crucially, I think, from that moment on. And Xenomania just sort of worked all these sort of bizarre songs around them and had them come in and sing each line of each song five different times in five different keys and each girl would sing them and then they'd be like stitched together on a computer of like all these tracks and Miranda would have like a book of lyrics rather than anything like on a computer and she would just sort of sing them all and I mean it sounded like a complete nightmare and they all sort of got (laughs) severe headaches in the studio but it worked because they weren't like anyone else and I think at that point anyone that sort of stood out from that manufactured you know by this point that manufactured sound had become quite dated and everyone was really sick of the sort of tv talent show vibe and so girls allowed and sugar babes who did a lot of stuff with yeah. them stood out for that reason yeah um mm. definitely taking in influences from uh other like subgenres and stuff like that and then mm. bring them in yeah. and making them sound exciting which was something that a lot of especially the tv talent shows didn't do um no and you obviously have had pop versus indie was a big thing then you know we don't have it yeah. as much now like pop is obviously written about in the way that rock music is but it wasn't really then and so you had this girl band from a tv talent show who were being reviewed by enemy and given glowing reviews in like observer music monthly and the guardian and broadsheets were like this is great and so that allowed like musos to be like i don't like pop music but i do love girls aloud and i don't yeah. really like yeah. the girls i love xenomania because they're like geniuses and so you had that happening to the point where and i didn't know this before the book but to the point where the girls aloud best of that came out the reason it doesn't have a picture of the girls on the cover is because they'd focus grouped mm. people and they were like look we're not going to buy this cd if it's got like five pretty girls on it because it looks like a pop album but we will buy it if it has mm. a terrible graphic yeah and they did because it got to number one and it was their first number one album and it sold over a million copies yeah there was a couple of different uh flashpoints of of pop versus indie in the book uh, uh covered like <laughs> bell and sebastian uh in at the brits I being best newcomer over steps <laughs> who the hell are bell and sebastian like everyone just like who i know it was said about 12 times by only the band steps so could have been <laughs> <laughs> and then there's obviously the Rage Against Machine campaign. By that point, oh. we're talking—I can't remember the year exactly—but by that point, we're we're kind of well o- over the uh, talent show stuff, and so uh, there was a lot of people making the point. It was like, oh, let's—they the Christmas number one every year goes to whoever wins the X Factor. So Rage Against oh. Machine song mm. against was it Joe McEldry? Yeah, I think, poor yeah. Joe Yeah, yeah. So. Poor Joe. I don't think he was the right person to have that No, and actually he was sort of fine about it. I think out of everyone yeah. that had been on yeah. the X Factor that I spoke to, he is absolutely fine. You know, he was just like, yeah. look, I had a great time. I won. I did have the number one like the week after. Yeah, you he know, said it, it helped them sell records maybe ultimately. Yeah, like they both sold yeah. loads. That's- so I think, you know, I mean, it was cruel and it was a bit like, well, who are you really punishing? Because Simon Cowell ultimately doesn't care. I mean, he probably did care a bit, but, you know, mm. a year later, One Direction came along and, you know, he doesn't care. Yeah. So Joe McKeldry is your sort of innocent victim in all of this. And obviously it yeah. built up slightly the year before with Alexandra Burke and Alleluia and, you know, Jeff Buckley and Leonard Cohen fans getting their knickers in a twist. Um, but she mm. had ultimately won by quite a a big margin but I think Joe sort of suffered you know as you say like this the sort of pushback from people just being a bit sick of knowing exactly who was going to get it and it just be a cover yeah and then Mm. what would happen in the X Factor every year is you know like the singers were dropped increasingly quicker if in Mm. you're living in a landscape where 
and this is throughout the whole book really is if you if you get a number two or a number three you like you're nearly finished that's it and yeah. that's kind of an insane level to work towards or to adhere to uh, in a working mm-hmm. relationship in a day-to-day working relationship your job is like if you don't get number one this is it now you're probably yeah. going to be dropped so uh, that kind of reaches it's, it's kind of a deer when you get to uh the X Factor and people are quickly dropped or not, and then ultimately not even offered albums to release uh, an album yeah. deal. You think it's uh, Steve? Brooks- I think that's the sad thing. Yeah, Steve Brookstein said he was offered twelve and a half thousand pounds from his one million uh, pound uh, contract. Ultimately, um, and you see that repeatedly over and over again, where uh, you know these people who just uh, don't really last the test of time, and ultimately it becomes this. Uh, the narrative becomes whoever comes second is or third is is probably better off because they have time to develop their career uh, yeah. and yeah and then you get like you winners like Matt Cardle instead of One Direction which is later than the book but uh, you know it just shows you what comes next in terms of pop music is like this return to you would think of how much pussy he's going to get. <laughs> exactly. That famous Harry Styles moment. Best, best Doesn't talk about that anymore, does he? <laughs> no. no. no, no. <laughs> I was at his show in Slane and my friend like shouted that in my ear <laughs> during one of the songs. I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> just like the annals of your memory. Just, I know. It was amazing. But that was a time when everyone would watch The X Factor and everyone was sort of on Twitter yeah. and it was like the biggest show. And obviously... Yeah. It was huge, but it did mean the conveyor belt was if you won, you you might only have that year until the next load of people come through. And obviously, if you yeah. don't immediately hit it out the park, you're in trouble. And obviously, in order to do that, they're spending a lot of money to get the biggest songwriters. Like I think especially after Leona with Bleeding Love, and it mm. was sort of the biggest selling single in America and number one in America. And so then Ryan Tedder, who wrote that, you know, he's not cheap. So in order for like uh, Alexandra Burke to come along after and trying to compete with that and, you know, Red One did a lot of stuff on that album and Neo and all these big people, but it didn't sell in that way. And so you'd rather be JLS who who came second and were able to sort of go and work on a different label and think about what they wanted and who they were. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so you're, yeah, you're getting to a position where you don't want to win, which is weird for a TV yeah. talent show competition. Or... I've always thought that the X Factor should be like the Olympics, where it's every four years. Yeah, just have a chance, especially to, like... by the end, because fans were like, "Well, why am I going to invest in the winner of the show if history is telling me that by next year they'll be gone?" And then mm. it's also now telling me that they're not going to release an album even. So why am I going to invest in anything to do with this person? Because I'm not even going to be able to hear them singing ever again really and even at at the peak of like going back in time you had bands like all stars and v they would release albums even though they only got to like number 40 whatever or 80 whatever they would at least be given an album so there would be this sort of product for people who did like them to enjoy and then weirdly by the time the x factor came along those last sort of two or three winners when didn't even get an album out, which yeah. I think sort of killed it off, really. Yeah. And when we talk about uh, the TV talent shows, especially, I mean, it's kind of a, a reality TV, uh, the machinations of making reality TV. Uh, there's some interesting insight into how the members were treated in terms of, you know, how they were worn down over hours in interviews and asked about spe- uh, whatever negative thing they said in their initial application mm. form before they to the point where they start crying about it or or and then they use that in the show or how they were given a bait and switch and or uh you know withheld time or or resources or songs or information in order to put them on the edge so that they would kind of look mm. set up to fail essentially so and then it's obviously that famous uh Kim Marsh of hearsay being told by Nasty Nigel that the goose has gotten fat like this was normal saturday night entertainment at uh, mm. <laughs> at this time so it's kind of interesting yeah. to go back. It wasn't that long ago. So when it comes to like the media landscape overall, like there's a lot of, uh, we talk a bit about the importance of say CD UK and pop world and smash hits and top of the pops, because these are institutions which no longer really are here for us mm. anymore. So um, how important were they then? And, and why are they not there now? Well, yes. And that's why the book ends in 2006, sort of. I mean, I do go into Joe McCaldry 
because between you and I, I had already done the interview when I decided to <laughs> move the date to 2006. And I wanted to keep him in. But anyway, so 2006 is when Smash It's closed, Top of the Pops finished, Pop World, Simon and Makita left Pop World, CD UK ended. And I think... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That just felt like a perfect end of this period because as you say, like these shows and magazines were so sort of important. They played like such a vital role in telling fans what was coming out performing the songs every week on Top of the Pops, selling albums, selling like the personality of the band, merch, all of that sort of stuff. So they were vitally important. And then obviously the internet happened. You know, you didn't need to buy magazines in the same way that you did before. Big Brother happened, which I think is important. Reality Mm -hmm. TV happened. You know, someone in the book sort of says that Friday night, Big Brother was almost like Top of the Pops. You know, you were watching this sort of frenzied crowd with like dance music and like a host and then a winner was sort of proclaimed and a loser and all of this sort of stuff. So that was all happening. And I think, you know, it was interesting to hear that Smash Hits by the end was covering TV actors, you know, Hollyoaks people and skins or whatever more than it was pop stars because there weren't that many pop stars by that point. You know, Sugar Babes, Girls Aloud, Busted, McFly later on, but they were, that was it. Outside of The X Factor, they were the only ones that were sort of still around because The X Factor had also sort of gobbled up A&R and label time and label money. You know, you sort of knew that you would have this conveyor belt of new people coming along that you could sign. And half the job was done for you because they've been on TV for 10 weeks. Yeah, It's not like anyone's going to be like, oh, we need to work out how to launch Cher Lloyd. It's like, well, mm. she has a fan base already. So they, the, all those things together meant that it all sort of collapsed. And I think also I couldn't get into the world of MySpace and Lily Allen because it felt so different. And she started mm. in 2006 as well. And her type of pop star was so different you know yeah sort of more credible mm. she's writing about her own experiences she's writing about you know very sort of really zooming in on like life whereas the other stuff was huge like generalities like reach for the stars climb every mountain higher lily allen is not going to sing that so it just felt like pop had shifted as well at that point people wanted more you could reach out to pop stars on twitter and I think they wanted that sort of reflected in their pop stars at that point. Yeah, and you also attribute the uh, allowance of downloads on the singles charts as one of the factors, perhaps, of uh, you know the importance of um, the singles charts in general, and obviously top of the pops. Yeah, and they just got more confusing. I think you know ultimately, like it was you know thing you could uh, downloads counted if it was the second week or the first week, or like only if there was an actual CD, and then they did away with that, and then you kind of have obviously streaming coming in later, but I think the decline in sort of people's caring about charts in that way or really understanding them sort of started to happen in this period as well, which is a shame because I love charts, but I don't understand Mm. really how they work anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I used to to check the charts all the time. I used to check them on the the teletext. And (laughs) now, God, if you ask me who was number one right now, couldn't tell you yeah i used to record them on the tape no idea yeah Mm -hmm. we had a show called top 30 hits on irish tv which was uh 
our own little version of of uh, Top of the Pops. It was like nothing. It was just music videos. But we just play the music yeah. videos. Though, but <laughs> sometimes yeah. not even the music videos. It was like the, the lyric <laughs> yeah. video that someone had made up for it because the song didn't have lyric one, videos. Yeah, if we couldn't get the rights, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or it just didn't exist. Mostly, it was great because it was top thirty. So yeah. like they had to play a video for every song. So they just had this like yeah. rotating graphic for whatever song was at number thirty. You know? Yeah, <laughs> they were good days. <laughs> yeah, you'd, you'd really get a pulse of a nation or cultural nation anyway. And I think now, obviously, things have. Uh, fractured and the the gatekeepers as such aren't really there anymore in the same way and you can kind of see what you're saying there about you know the people that were being written about by those magazines are it's like the early influencers they're like they're not pop stars and not being written about for being uh for their artistry or their creativity they're being written about for their notoriety so Michael, what, yeah. what was your relationship with with pop music uh at this period what were you up to well so this is where it all I reveal my secrets is because I was slightly like older than, you know, like when the Spice Girls first came out, I was sort of 14. And so I was starting to be like, I liked the Spice Girls, obviously. And I had really liked Michael Jackson before, like he was my sort of childhood pop star. So I loved pop music and I loved the sort of performance of it. But as I got older in this period, I was a bit like, I'm a bit cooler than this guys. So like when I went to university, I was like, I'm really into Radiohead. and which I sort of was, but it, I was sort of hiding a lot of stuff. And so to sort of reveal myself as like a pop fan, I wasn't really like at that point in my life. So it wasn't until a bit later where I was like, right, I just don't really care anymore. You know, you when you're a teenager, you're a bit like, you know, I have to like, sort of, or I thought I had to like what was cool at that time. And I obviously sort of knew that this particular type of pop wasn't and so actually doing the book was quite nice it was like really sort of going back to that period and sort of letting myself enjoy it and I'd really got into it in lockdown again just sort of listening to how brilliant the songs are you know even if the pop stars weren't great the songs were great in some instances and you know there were terrible songs as well obviously and there were terrible pop stars as there always have been and always will be but I just sort of loved kind of listening to them again and that's sort of where the idea came from was to sort of do that but yeah at the time I I loved like Girls Aloud and Sugar Babes and I loved you know Don't Stop Moving and all of that but it wasn't like an avid kind of super fan of any particular band. Was there any music of the period that um, you have a new appreciation for and uh, similarly was there any which you feel is maybe uh, quite dated now that you loved at the time or? Well, I think a lot of it doesn't sound dated, which is great because, I mean, there was a period where I thought has, is the sort of Xenomania stuff so specifically of this period that it almost sounds dated, even though it's sort of the most experimental and weird, it sort of became, I don't know, that that was my only danger. But actually, when I was doing the book, I listened to them constantly and was like, this is absolutely mad and brilliant and I love it and so I don't think that's going to happen um I actually think the five singles are great yeah you know like I had sort of dismissed them slightly as just kind of not being great and you sort of forget how big they were and how they almost did sort of have this big breakthrough in America which would have set them up as like a kind of Backstreet Boys style huge global band if they weren't just so terrible at like being in each other's company (laughs) and you know if they'd had any media training maybe they would have been okay so I was I'm surprised pleasantly at how much I enjoyed sort of listening to because when I put each chapter together I listened to that only listened to that band's like discography and I was very happy to listen to five all day long yeah my little sister was a, a fan of five at the time so i wasn't going to be uh listening to them but you know going back and revisiting yeah. when i was reading it uh i was like god yeah they're actually weren't bad like, like yeah and, great shoes there yeah and also they did have you know this was the period of max martin started in this period yeah. you know stargate did a lot of this stuff for like mystique and you know all these huge producers who are still working in pop like steve mack who does a lot of Ed Sheeran stuff did the Westlife stuff. So we're talking about really brilliant people who know what they're doing, who are sort of hugely successful now. So even when the pop stars maybe weren't up to scratch, the songs were yeah good. Um, obviously, there's a lot of coverage of the Svengali's of the time. Do you think the 
they are even around in the same way anymore? Do you like how, what do you think the machinations of, of pop music are like now? That um, are those obviously Louis Walsh is still knocking around here and there. As he, Louis Walsh is still knocking around, my dear friend. <laughs> uh, the quote that's on the book is something that he said to me at the start of our interview. So I was incredibly happy about that. Um, and that was no yeah. one's oh, going to read this book. Or no yeah, one no one's going to read this book. Who cares? Uh, oh, that was yeah, God, brutal. Louis, God. Also funny. Like I thought it was funny. It's so him so though. Funny. It's just so him. Isn't yeah, it? it's like I don't know. Everything he said, oh. everything he said, like reads like Louis Walsh, which is kind of what I wanted. Yeah. But it, I thought every, it was, everything it, that I read, uh, every one of his bits I read in his voice. Yeah, like, exactly. It's, it's so Louis, no matter what he's doing, he's so Louis. Yeah, like, it's so funny. I think it's interesting that, you know, Simon Cowell apparently has sort of gone back into doing A&R and Louis is mm. putting together a boy band or has put together a boy band. So I thought it was quite interesting that a lot of these big players have sort of gone back to doing what they did before they became famous on TV, which I think is a sort of interesting thing to have happened. I don't think mm. they can be as big as they were then, obviously, because the the TV show isn't really happening. And I don't know that there are these sort of figures in that same way who are so tapped into what's going on in the general public, because that's hard to know now, like this sort of monoculture yeah. thing that we had doesn't exist. So a lot of people talked in the book about how good Simon and Louis were at knowing what sort of Debbie and Dave in Blackpool want to listen to, which is not something that a lot of people cared about necessarily at that time. It was very like, london you know or it was very mm. like cool like who how do we get the cool guys or how do we get radio one and they were like well who cares about radio one or who cares about whether q magazine are going to review westlife mm. it doesn't matter like we want to get to these people who are going to buy this in tesco and listen to it in their car and come and see them in the show like we, let's just do that and obviously a brilliant way of doing that is just to get them to do covers of songs that they hear on Magic FM. They already know. Because <laughs> yeah. we can just do that. And obviously Louis is absolutely adamant that that was all his doing, but I'm sure Simon has mm. something to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> was there anyone who, um, because you, you interviewed like some like very, very iconic people for the, for the book. Was there anyone who like, or who, who was the person that when you were getting ready to interview them, you were thinking most like oh god i hope they're nice i hope they're as nice as i want them to be uh i really wanted to interview mutcher from the sugar babes which obviously did mm. happen and i was slightly worried that maybe she would just sort of be a bit bored of doing it or like not really sort of want to go back to this period necessarily she just seems like someone mm. who sort of doesn't take any shit from anyone so but actually we spoke for like an, an hour and she was great and she sort of you know did go into a lot of stuff about why she left the band and and sort of the solo kind of career that she had that kind of came to an end so she was great but I was nervous about her and I was nervous mm -hmm. about Pete Waterman because I was just given his phone number by someone so I just texted him being like hey Pete and had to explain everything in like this mad text message and then he was just like, oh, call me now. And I was All like, right. what? I haven't done any questions. <laughs> no. So I just called him and he was like in his garden, just like pottering around the garden. And then he was like, oh, I've got to go, but let's, you know, do it again later. And and then I forgot to ask him about Steps versus Bell and Sebastian because I hadn't written down any questions. So then I had to text him, you know, two days later being like, look, I'm really sorry. Can we, do, can I speak to you again? And he was like, yeah, I'm just on the train. Like text me and like call me in an hour or whatever. Okay. So that was all quite stressful because I knew he was so important and I didn't not want him in it. And I also didn't want to like piss him off by texting him and out of the blue, which I did. Same with Louis. Yeah. I just, I got <laughs> given Louis's phone number and I just texted him, which I mean, it sounds mad now, but I was very like, I was on a roll at that point. Yeah. I don't know if I would yeah. do that now, but uh, I just texted him <laughs> and explained everything and he didn't reply for ages. And then he did. <laughs> <sighs> and then he it said and then he said so i'll give you 10 minutes oh so that's all did i had he? yeah that's all i had with louis was 10 minutes <laughs> and uh louis. did you try and get contact with simon i did i tried simon fuller and simon cowell but i did not get Two a reply. no yeah just like surprising. stone like nothing yeah and i was firing off so many emails that at a certain point i 
you know, it wasn't until later on that I was like, they never got back to me. But of course they didn't. And yeah. I did try a couple of times. And there yeah. was, you know, there were people who I wanted that I couldn't get. And so I just sort of reshaped the book around obviously who I could get and and sort of figured it out as I went along. Mm. Um, but I'm happy, you know, I got a hundred and something people, so I'm I'm happy with that. But I would have liked, you know, yeah. Will Young and Gareth Gates. I I really wanted, but for one reason or another, that didn't happen. Yeah. So, Michael, what do you well, where do you think I pop think it music came is at now in 2023 <laughs> compared to that period? Like, what would you if you were top lining the uh, pop music at the moment compared to this period uh, in 20 years' time? Where would you start? Do you think? Well, songs are shorter now, which I'm annoyed about because yeah. I like a three-minute, 30 song. Uh, there are no middle eights, which I'm annoyed about because mm-hmm. I like a middle eight. Um, there are definitely fewer key changes, which, you know, I'm on the fence about that. Uh, I'd li- I like them. but um, And also, I think there was a period where everything was obviously darker lyrically. You know, Billie Eilish is sort of one of the biggest pop stars, and I don't think that would have happened well, she probably wouldn't have even been classed as pop back then. It was very much mm. like delineated a bit more, you know, like this is pop or this is a specific kind of pop. And I don't think that exists now. But I think post-pandemic, post sort of lockdown, I hope people are being a bit more fun again now. I think people sort of got very much like in their feelings and very sort of, we need a sort of escapism. And I'm hopeful that that is potentially sort of coming back now. You know, you have sort of Dua Lipa and, you know, hopefully like that kind of, you know, the Charlie XCXs and the Dua Lipas and the sort of, what was the song that I heard the other day that just felt sort of very kind of, you know, Olivia Rodrigo, for example. I mean, those songs are still sort of not exactly like up and they're sort of railing against stuff, but they're sort of fun and, you know, the presentation of it is fun and it's sort of vibrant and interesting. And I hope we're going to have a bit more of that because we need that because it's so depressing. (laughs) So depressing in this world uh, generally that, you know, you you want either like, I don't necessarily think we need that reflected back at us through our pop music. So hopefully people will be like, let's just... It needs some escapism. More and that's probably why people have gone back to this period because it was shiny and bright and ridiculous and like you know the fashion was bonkers and everyone looked great slash awful i think mm. you know we need a bit more of that um, yeah as well as the book uh michael reach for the stars which you can get in all good bookshops and bad bookshops perhaps as well mm-hmm. uh there is all you're also here in dublin on saturday july 15 for the smash hits poll winners party which is uh, yes pop oh, emergencies yes. uh our friend lou brew who's been on the podcast before uh you'll be chatting with her about the book and music of the time and uh, uh lou will be doing a uh pop dance y2k pop dance party so uh, yes, you can get tickets for that on Eventbrite as well. So, yeah, I hope you have a good time in Dublin, and uh, maybe we'll see you there. And uh, and thanks you so much for writing the book. It's it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you for having it's me. Great. It's great. We to loved chat it. To you. <laughs> Thank you to Michael Craig for uh, appearing on the podcast this week. Really appreciate it. Lovely to chat to him. Um, as I said, Saturday, 15th of July in Wigwam. Uh, go and uh, see Michael in the flesh talking about his book, Reach for the Stars, and get a copy of the book. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. I'm holding it in my hands right now. 500 pages of uh, a, a very engaging oral history 
um, and uh, go see DJ Lou Brew as well uh, on Saturday, uh, July 15th as well. Now, if you're like us and uh, you have to live a life, then you will appreciate that sometimes people have to pay for things uh, in their lives. And that means patreon.com forward slash 909 is where is how sometimes we have to pay for stuff uh, that we do associated with the website and the podcast so uh, patreon.com forward slash 909 you'd be directly supporting independent uh, publication and podcaster and ourselves here um so patreon.com forward slash 909 is a discord access uh, and all sorts of stuff happening people talking about all sorts of stuff this week including uh Whatever's going on with the Taylor Swift uh, tickets at the moment, which I'm still a bit confused by. <laughs> I don't really know. You got you got tickets, Andrea? Did you? Or you got you got a, you got an email to say you you possibly might have tickets? No, I got I got an email to say that I will be sent a link to be in with a chance to purchase a ticket. So it's very exciting over here. Um, no word on how much the tickets cost. Um, so I, I don't know, man, like I'll try, but it's, it's, who knows, who knows if me and Swifty will be united. I'm going to wear my, I hate Maddie Healy t-shirt anyway to the show. Just yeah. so everyone knows, which it's pretty side of impressive the, the, uh, the um, number of steps and, or hoops you have to jump through yeah. in order to get uh, just a, a ticket. She's just announced another uh, a third gig in Dublin as well, which means she won't be doing Glastonbury next year because the same dates as Glastonbury completely. Yeah. Um, so presumably you're going to get a, some no sort of Glastonbury. GPS code to a secret location, whereupon you must dig up an ancient home stone and uh, decipher its runes in order to get the final ticket link. I think that's I what's going to so. happen next. Yeah. You have to ring up, ring up Louis Walsh Answer and riddle, find uh, that sort and, of and solve the riddle, whatever happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Louis. Yeah. So hopefully we'll see. I don't know. Uh, I'm not, as we know, we all know of my complicated relationship with Ms. Swift. Um, oh, good. But I'd like to see her yeah. live. I've never seen her. Um, I went to see Khalees like last night um, in mm. the Guinness Storehouse and uh, just telling Michael there at the end of our chat that uh, it was one of those PAs. I hadn't seen him for quite a while. Um, it's really an American thing. I don't think uh, acts outside of America really do it. It's like, you know, like a, it was obviously a Guinness uh, sponsored event. And a lot of times when acts do that, American acts do it, they do like a a quick 30 minute PA. The last time I think I saw somebody do it was Azealia Banks in 2012, um, where it's like, here's 30 minutes of all of my hits rammed into each other uh, as quickly as possible. So you can sing along to them all a verse and a chorus each and just like, this is it. This is it. Amazing. Uh, it was really fun though, because it was actually half 10 by the time she came on stage. And uh, uh, our our previous podcast uh, guest, Sayla uh, Vida Mai was there playing as well with a full band and Zappo. So that was cool. Nice to see. Is, are you going to Lana Del Rey this week? You're not, are you? No, no. I I like Lana's albums. I'm not. Yeah, I kind of get the same impression. Uh, to be honest, I don't know if it could be too. Um, I know people there yeah. obviously absolutely love her, but uh, for me, I'm like I could dip in. Yeah, and I I I think she's very talented. But like, I watched her Glass Brissette, and I was yeah. like. I could take or leave this, you know, um, as as a live experience. Um, but I hope everyone who is going has a lovely time. Um, it must be yeah, the short ten, turnaround. It was ten days fully, nine, ten days basically in history. Um, so yeah, pretty mad, mm. pretty mad, and uh, it's kind of insane. A couple um, of things worth mentioning. Uh, yeah. Happy fiftieth birthday to Roshin Murphy. Um, that woman, I put a video on Instagram last week Woo! from the gig I went to in Trinity. Uh, college and just happened to capture the bit where she was doing her cool dancing and I was like she's so effortlessly cool how do you do it like so cool (laughs) a very fun gig as well so I I would recommend uh, digging into a playlist I put up on the website this week uh, best of playlist a personal best of playlist uh, from Roisin Murphy uh, in adding to our recent discussion as well about festivals and specifically Beyond the Pale and um, Body and Soul. Uh, both of them now have announced their dates for 2024 and they've kind of swapped around the weekend. So Beyond the Pale is going um, on the later weekend. So the 21st to the 23rd and uh, Body and Soul is going from June 14th to 16th. So that solves that issue at least. They're on a different time. 
Um, and, and one other thing I wanted to shout out as well is mm. uh, a news story I put up today about uh, three bands who are playing uh, 32 gigs in all 32 counties on the All-Ireland Tour. Um, Isaac Jones, Henry Ernest and Passersby um, from August 15th to September 15th are doing a county a day playing a gig in every county. Um, so you can have a look at that. It's called the All-Ireland Tour of all of Ireland. Cool. Um, so they'll be having various guests with them. So it kicks off on August 15th in Wicklow, going around every county all the way back to Dublin on the 15th of September. Um, so yeah, there's ticket links up there soon for it all that. So there's lots of interesting things happening as ever. There's loads of different uh, small festivals and things announced uh, in, in the recent weeks. Um, so have a look at the news and festival section on the website. Uh, Andrea, anything to add? I won't be here next week. Um, I'll be away. So great. I'll see you. We haven't discussed that. That means I'd forgotten. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Listen, it's still summer. Yes. It's still summer. Uh, did I know you're away? I did. I did know you're away. I have in Easy caps breezy, here, baby. Andrea away. Fair play to me. You did. We did. I just forgot. But yeah, yeah. we'll all get a 99 next week. Summer, it's easy breezy. Who knows? Maybe not. Maybe, maybe I'll just come on and talk about something. Do his own thing. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Uh, that's it for episode 220 of that's the 909 podcast. We keeping it short and sweet and uh, and all about uh, fun pop music from 1996 to 2006. Uh, if you like what you heard on this podcast, I think you may enjoy other podcast episodes that we did about um, the Britney Spears documentary. We also had a chat with uh, Jen Gannon about uh, Spice Girls and pop music around that time as well. Well worth delving into. Anyway, that's a self plug um, and that's it from us. Uh, Thanks for listening. Um, If you want to support us, as I said, it's patreon.com forward slash 909 and and indeed any uh, independent podcaster that you like, um, do, do consider. Uh, supporting them if you can um, yeah and sign up to their substack maybe somebody like Andrea Cleary's substack or her ghost newsletter ghost.io isn't it my my ghost yes andrea-cleary.ghost.io I will have some recommended books for paid subscribers soon and free subscribers Great. all right stuff there for you thanks Emil talk to you next week yeah. shout out to everyone in the discord and uh, bye bye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.